if you're an in-house marketer, even an in-house sales leader, or sales leader, which is usually in-house, you have to tell that story to you know the C-level. You have to tell that story to your peers, uh, and things take time, right? We're we're in the process of trying to get more of our customers to buy annual contracts up front. Uh, that takes time. Yet, meanwhile, the rest of the business is like, "What the hell are you doing? It's been three months." <laughs> And so I think I think you have to be able to tell that story and say, here are the changes that we made. Uh, here's the things that we did. Here's how it worked. Here's pieces that didn't work. Here's the pieces that did work. Here's what we're going to do next. Uh, and if you don't tell that story with data, you, like you just don't have the you don't have credibility and lose people. So and that's absolutely critical. You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industries. Now, on with the episode. Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. And today my guest is Peter Caputa, who is the CEO of Databox. Peter was a former VP of sales at HubSpot, and currently he's the CEO of Databox. He's been selling and managing salespeople, building sales teams for 20 plus years. He scaled HubSpot's channel sales to over $100 million in annual recurring revenue. And today, Databox is at around $6 million in ARR, growing 50% year on year. 20,000 plus businesses around the world use Databox to track and visualize performance. So Peter, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Paris. It's a pleasure to be here. I've uh, been listening to your other podcasts and I'm excited to have a conversation with you about it. Oh, great. Same here. Um, so Peter, I think it's fair to say you became famous at HubSpot for uh, really validating and proving out this reseller model. And I listened to you speak years ago about that and it was really inspiring. So the first question I have, given that you're now on your quest to become famous for something else uh, at Databox. What lessons did you learn? What did you take away from that HubSpot experience, in particular the reseller, uh, that, that reseller model that really was your baby? What did you take from that experience that you're able to apply successfully today at Databox? So many lessons. I learned so much at HubSpot. I think I've written like 5,000 words on the lessons I learned at HubSpot, not just from trial, my own trial and error, but also just from the great team there and uh, their ability to to innovate and execute. But I'd say that the main lesson I learned from building out the channel at Databox is the importance of uh, ecosystems in SaaS businesses in general. Um, when I started that program, there was a lot of resistance uh, at the time. I don't know if you remember it, but at the time, Everyone felt like SaaS by itself was kind of disrupting everything. So clearly it was disrupt, disrupting enterprise on-premise software. And this is in the, you know, the, the mid to late 2000s. Um, but people also perceived as kind of disrupting the distribution process that software used to mostly go through, uh, especially in B2B, where it went through partners, right? Uh, resellers would would sell software. And so people thought, oh, SaaS is, just doesn't need distributors. It doesn't need resellers. It doesn't need implementers because it's so easy to get it out there. So easy for easy, relatively easy for people to adopt. It's month to month contracts or annual contracts, but with relatively small implementation. 
effort and fees. So people just didn't think resellers were necessary. But I think we've proved that, that wrong and we were early at proving that wrong. We weren't the only ones. And in fact, I think Constant Contact before us um, proved that out, you know, almost a decade earlier. Uh, but but since then, I, I don't think anyone questions it now. Like, should you have resellers? And HubSpot's not the only successful story either at this point uh, of resellers. Salesforce obviously has a big ecosystem. Companies like Xero kind of pioneered it in the accounting software space right alongside us around similar timing as HubSpot. So lots of great examples out there now. Yeah. And are you able to, how successful are you in applying those same principles today at Databox? Yeah, we're, we're at the, um, we're at the uh, ground laid um, stage. It's funny because I get calls all the time for SaaS companies saying, hey, could you help us think through our partner program? And like half the time I tell them they're not ready yet. And so Databox is just out of that phase of like not being ready. We are now fully ready and, and going for it. I would say that Databox caters to marketing agencies, but not necessarily as resellers. We're really selling software that agencies use with their clients. They're using it to report their results to their clients or share or simplify the presentation of uh, KPIs uh, to their clients. So in, uh, mo- in most cases, our partners, we call it, we still call them partners, but our, those agencies, they purchase on behalf of their clients and use us across multiple clients in order to standardize and streamline their reporting process. So occasionally they're passing that cost on, but it's very rare that we have a direct billing relationship with an agency's clients. Usually the agency is handling that. Understood. So the agency is the customer, not necessarily the partner, but can be the yeah. partner, the reseller. Yeah, so, so the way I look at partnerships these days is a little different. In the HubSpot days, I was in sales. I had a quota and I basically built, we built the program designed so that we could hit quota, so that we could grow our sales. And it was framed that way. And like not all tools and software can frame it that way. It was somewhat unique in that HubSpot had a broad offering even back then um, that enabled a lot of different services to be delivered on. And so that was unique. With Databox, it's a little different in that we're solving one problem. We are moving into a model where we will partner more with agencies. But what I mean by that is more on the marketing side and less on the sales side. Uh, And so we're building some tools that agencies will use to use in their um, prospecting processes in order to uh, upsell and cross-sell their clients on different services. So the idea here is more about using data in all of the different functions of a marketing agency. In that process, we'll go to market together and we'll leverage our reach, uh, our our search traffic, our customer base, et cetera, to help agencies uh, get customers, but we'll do it in a very different way than I did at HubSpot. All right. Now you've really got the wheels turning for me because we are an agency um, and now I'm, I'm really interested there. Can you... How much can you share about the types of features that are coming out, what you just described, and also the timeline for that? What is that going to look like for an agency like me to be able to help me acquire more clients? Sure. Um, yeah, no, glad you asked. I didn't want to ramble on too long without stopping, so, but I'm, I'm happy to share. So the, the first tool we're building, and I'll share this, it's coming uh, probably next quarter. 
is uh, benchmark groups, which will allow an agency or a consultant to create a group of companies and invite them uh, to join the group and then instantly see how they compare against the median of the group. Uh, and that agency will be able to select from any of the 60 plus native integrations that we built. So if you're trying to reach HubSpot customers or you're trying to reach active campaign customers or pipe drive customers or whatever that is, you'll be able to pick the metrics that you want to use in your benchmark and then invite companies to join that. And so we have invested years into building all these integrations and we build them very, you know, we define metrics just like the tools define the metrics. And so it'd be very simple if you wanted to try to build something like this yourself, it would probably take a few engineers in a year. Let me throw out an example. You tell me if I'm on the mark here, let's say I, we want to target cybersecurity companies yep. and we make a list of them and I approach one of our prospects and I show them this benchmarking tool that says that your average organic traffic is growing at 30% slower than the average peers, your average peer group. And we believe the reasons why are your link profile, your on-page SEO is not very good and your content marketing is not good enough. Yep. Is that how I could, is that, am I on the right track? Is that how You're I You're on the right track. I don't know if we'll have trends over time or benchmarks over time just yet. When you said, hey, you're growing 30% slower, but we, you would be able to make a statement of like, you know, I have a group of 100 SaaS companies in cybersecurity and uh, in your search traffic is 30% below the median. Is that a problem you want to fix or not? Yeah. You're the, this is the first time I'm sharing these details. I don't know when you're publishing uh, this podcast, but I haven't shared these publicly yet. <laughs> yeah. Just so that our listeners know, we're recording this on March 22nd. We're probably going to be going live in about three weeks, but if you tell me that you want to hold off. If no, I no, we can do it. We can do it. We'll give it, we'll put it out there. Yeah. We actually have launched like a teaser in the app for people to opt into benchmarks. And we have data from 10,000 plus companies in there. Um, so day one, we'll be able to launch a, a more generic benchmark, you know, with bigger groups of companies like B2B versus B2C and different industrials versus, you know, technology companies, things like that but we, we expect that there'll be niches of, of uh, that we get to. I well. think that, um, I think that you made a tweet on February, you tweeted on February 1st and you pinned it and it was a survey and then you asked, uh, basically if there was an anonymous, anonymous way to compare your company's performance in seconds across marketing sales, customer service, finance, et cetera, with an anonymous group of companies, just like yours, would you do it? 60% said, yes, take my firstborn. So I guess that's early user feedback that this yeah, is a good idea, right? Just throwing it out there. I've been talking about this privately with people just to validate the idea and make sure that uh, agencies and consultants would use it. And um, and so, yeah, that, that was after a call and I was feeling good about it. So I'm like, ah, let's just throw this out there and see what people think. <laughs> okay, you got a decent number of votes as well. So feel good about yeah, it. Yeah, that, that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes Twitter can be the best source of market research just to get a quick read on uh, on some sentiment. Let's take a step backwards because you said something several minutes ago that I want to come back to because you said that we're solving a problem. Data, Databox is solving a problem for marketing agencies. What problem is it solving? So currently the problem we're solving is um, the really manual headache of reporting results to clients in a professional manner. So most so most companies are using lots of different tools. You know, There's a stat from HubSpot or something. And it's like, 
the average marketer in a mid-sized company is using at least 12 tools. I think that's probably old and it's even worse now. We use like 50 different pieces of software to manage our sales marketing and service orgs. Uh, and so cutting and pasting that data is the typical way that agencies have done that into say a deck or a doc. Uh, so they're logging in to multiple tools. They're taking screen grabs. Some in some cases, I've seen people literally download data and create create um, you know create uh, visualizations in, in sheets or Excel. In some cases, I've literally seen people literally log in and then type numbers into columns and, and cells and worksheets. Um, and so that's a really time consuming process. We what we do is we integrate with the most popular tools out there, um, and we pre-program the metrics you would expect, or we give you the ability to go in and very easily filter out different metrics by different dimensions, um, and then visualize that on dashboards. Um, we're also, I'm dropping a lot here too. We're also about to, to um, launch a new reporting software feature, which will allow companies to take and put that data into a, uh, a um, deck-like uh, experience. And so they'll be able to ins insert individual visualizations or full dashboards, text. It'll even interpret the data for you and explain the change in time over the time periods, et cetera, all in text. And we'll spit that out for you in an automated Yeah. Way. That sounds great because a lot of what our teams are still doing is screenshotting, screenshotting the graphs and dropping them into Google slides. And I think that we do that so that we can try to tell a story around the data because the report itself doesn't always tell the story and we want to have a, we want to have some cues in the slides that say all right this this drop right here in this metric whatever it might be is a result of xyz and therefore our advice is to do this next um and i i believe a lot of agencies are still doing that and they you know, are basically so we wanna, had, yeah we had a feature in the product we have a feature in the product called scheduled snapshots which basically takes a a, a snapshot of the dashboard at a given point in time that you pre-schedule and it sends it to you as a JPEG or PDF in email. And 42% of our customers use that. So that probably means they're taking that and put it into some kind of document. I'm sure many of them are just using that because they want it sent to their email address as well. But that's always a good indication to us that there's still a piece of the process that we haven't automated yet. And this is kind of that last mile. And so... And in our in our studies and in our interviews with customers, we discover that most of them are doing it in the PowerPoint deck or slide deck, Google slide deck. Um, and so, yeah, we're basically building that the Google slides like experience or construction experience into our product, but with the data automatically pulled in, so you can skip the uh, screen grab process. Excellent. Yeah, I tend to think that just being well, being the persona myself, I think the problem is not a lack of reporting tools, but it's more of a, a storytelling problem. That, Agreed. Yeah, I mean, the biggest problem is to be able to tell better stories and all these features that you're talking about are empowering people, not only to save time, but to tell better stories. And telling better stories to me is the key for retaining and upselling clients Nailed it. as an agency. Yes, It's exactly. to convince them because no matter how much data you have to prove or disprove ROI or whatever else, um, to a large degree, perception is reality still in the agency business. If you can convince people that despite these lousy KPIs last month, we're on the right track. And I told you this was going to take six months or 12 months. It's, it's SEO and we've got to, you've got to bear with us here. Um, that storytelling is absolutely critical to keep those clients, uh, excited, really excited about the future. And, uh, 
not not to start looking for the next agency. Agreed. Yeah, I think it's the same thing. Like if you're an in-house marketer, even an in-house sales leader, or sales leader, which is usually in-house, you have to tell that story to you know the C level. You have to tell that story to your peers, uh, and things take time, right? We're we're in the process of trying to get more of our customers to buy annual contracts up front. Uh, that takes time. Yet meanwhile, the rest of the business is like, "What the hell are you doing? It's been three months." <laughs> And so I think I think you have to be able to tell that story and say, here are the changes that we made. Uh, here's the things that we did. Here's how it worked. Here's pieces that didn't work. Here's the pieces that did work. Here's what we're going to do next. Uh, and if you don't tell that story with data, you, like you just don't have the you don't have credibility and you lose people. So that's absolutely critical. Are you all segmenting agencies in any kind of way, either before the the freemium conversion event or after the freemium conversion event? So that you can try to assess the, the future LTV of them and bid more appropriately, and try to bid, uh, you know, have a CAC that's a little bit more tailored to the lifetime value based on what you learn about them in the, let's say, in the in the right before a conversion or in the few days after a conversion when they're using the product. Yeah. So, so your first, there's two questions there. So I'm going to separate them because yeah, that was that was a little bit loaded. Uh, yeah. So the first question was around. Um, are we segmenting our users, uh, you know, before or after they sign up for our free product? Um, and the answer is actually sort of we're at, we're we're actually segmenting them when they sign up for the free product. Um, we and um, we struggled this in HubSpot, so I kind of took those lessons learned and applied them here at DataBox and found found a solution. Uh, but basically, we asked them on the second screen what type of count, account they want to set up. Do they want to set up a standard account, which is for companies? And we kind of show like company, like org chart there or an account for clients in which we, case we show people that you're connecting to instead, uh, instead of just an org chart. And so that works quite well. We actually also have our support team reviewing those signups and verifying that they are in, indeed some type of company that would use us with multiple clients. Most of the time it's a marketing agency, but sometimes it's a consultant. Sometimes it's an accountant. Uh, it's and is that, I'm just, I just want to stop you quickly. Yeah. Is that a, an enrichment? Is that an enrichment tool that just looks up the domain and verifies that this is in fact a marketing? Agency? No, we manually do it right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. The problem with those enrichment tools, we, you do, we do use Clearbit uh, for other reasons, but the problem with those enrichment tools is they miss on in two areas. One, they miss when somebody uses a Gmail and we have a Gmail optional signup in order to reduce yeah. friction for signup. And it misses really small companies, which is the majority of marketing agencies because um, they just don't have a lot of coverage there. So we do it manually. Yeah. At HubSpot, and I don't know what they do now, but at HubSpot for literally probably like a decade, we had a person in New Hampshire looking at every lead that said they were a marketing agency to make sure they were a marketing agency. And the reason we only did it for that portion of the leads is because their direct sales team was much bigger and we wanted to get the leads directly to the direct sales team. But for the agency side, for a long time, um, we had more leads that we can handle. And so we had somebody manually sitting there. Very gotcha. Hard. Okay. So step one is to, is to verify agency or, or no agency or company. Yeah. And they say, we're going to use this not in an org, but with people, with clients. You verify that it's an agency. And then what's the next step of yeah. segmentation? So your question is, do we use the, your other question? Your second part question was, do we use that data to segment our customers and then therefore potentially be able to bid more in ads and things like that? That was the second part of your question, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so um, we do segment them, of course. 
we look at all of the downstream metrics. So we look at the average sale price. We look at the, the churn rate. We look at the LTV. In general, our agency customers pay us more and stick longer uh, than the rest of our customers. So it is a more valuable segment of customers for us, not to mention they you know market with us and help us increase our reach and all of that. Um, but um, we don't spend any money on paid ads right now so and never have. Uh, so it doesn't really affect our spend. All of our signups, and we get a little over 5,000 signups a month, uh, come in through organic channels, mostly search. Yeah, I definitely want to dig into that. Um, we're we're going to, I, I want to go into your content marketing and organic success. But before, I've got to ask, why are you not, uh, why are you not doing <laughs> Google Ads? I have to answer for, uh, monthly from the, uh, the product organization. Why don't we spend money on ads? Um, I believe we have a um, smarter, lower cost customer acquisition plan that we've about half implemented. Um, and so uh, we're working on that first. The reason, the main reason I haven't invested to date is because I looked at the sales funnel and I looked at the friction in the setup process that still exists and said, hey, I think it can make a smarter investment in growing our support team and our sales team in order to improve the conversion rate of the signups that we have now. And we did that. We almost doubled that conversion rate from signup to customer over the last, say, 18 months by growing our support team from two or three people to 25 and growing our sales team from two people to 10. And so we made those investments instead. I still think there's some opportunity there. But the stuff we're working on now, the two products that I've mentioned, the benchmark groups uh, and the reporting tool, I believe we can use the benchmark groups to in increase our sign-up volume in partnership with our partners. And I believe we can use our reporting tool to increase the, the lifetime value, the, the, our average sale price of our customers. And so when those things are done, I will go heavy into ads and go heavy and hard into that. All right. right. So it's not, it's not that you're just philosophically opposed to, to advertising, but it's more about choosing when is the right time to go big into that. And right now you're choosing to spend each incremental dollar more in, in support and, and, and reinvest in the product as opposed to pouring that money into advertising. So maybe it's a feeling that you're still not at a full mature product market fit yet where you're ready to yeah, you know, we're doing, like you said, we're doing nearly 6 million in average revenue. We have more than 2,500 customers. So by all, all most definitions, we're at that, we're past product market fit. However, um, I look at it as it's, you know, it's a unit economics play, right? So if my unit economics are superior to my competitors, then I can afford to outspend them. And so I want to be clearly superior. I believe we're superior to most of our competitors at this point in terms of LTV to CAC or unit economics. But I think we're on a, a clear path to to be superior, in which case I know I'll be able to outbid them on every platform. Gotcha. I heard the same thing a few months ago from ClickUp, uh, Aaron Court, who's a COO of ClickUp. They also made a conscious decision for the first few years of their business to spend zero on paid advertising and invest heavily into organic and also into community. Yep. And one of the reasons they did that was exactly what you just said, was that if we postpone the advertising investment and we really invest in the types of uh, 
the types of growth that are going to be long-term sticky. So when you build up organic traffic, that tends to be very reliable yeah. in the future. Most likely those rank, you're going to hold on to those rankings and that's stuff that you can predict. As you get more and more, as you get a, a larger and larger portion of your signups and your growth from free or non-paid organic channels, yep. that allows you to that allows you later to spend more on advertising because ultimately you're going to compare your blended CAC, which is across all non-paid and paid channels with those of your competitors. So the yep. more you can postpone that decision, the, the more competitive you'll be in those auctions and you will be able to drive people out of auctions if you enter that game later and you can rely on still the majority of your, your growth of signups through organic, sounds like that's what you all are, are doing. Yeah. No, I look at organic, it was a relatively modest investment for a return that can increases every month, right? The ROI on investments that I made, we made four or five years ago and organic are still paying off and will pay off for the next few years. Like you said, those ranks tend to, to stay there. We've also increased our domain authority significantly. We now have the higher, highest domain authority amongst our, what I would say our, our main competitors are. Uh, and so yeah. we're launching a significant volume of very high intent content that, that will convert. We've already proven that it will convert based on some, some stuff we did about six months ago. So yeah, I think there's way more room for us to grow our organic traffic, which we're still working on. It's also allowing us to build that high intent content, which converts well, which will, and, and have lots, multiple conversion paths. And the more, multi, more conversion paths we have, you know, the, the, the better ROI we'll get on that ad spend as well. Yeah. Well, if it's any, if it's any indication, I'm looking at Ahrefs, I, I don't know how accurate this is to the real data, but it looks like you all have nearly doubled organic traffic in the last year from and that's not doubling from a small base, but doubling from about 40,000 a month organic yeah. to now what's heading towards 80. It looks like 80. Um, and that's phenomenal. And, and yeah, we, uh, the, we and get about like, uh, a little over two, I think like 215,000 uh, sessions per month. Um, wow. Point. Okay. All right. But it hasn't and doubled has, in the last year that, no, that those day, that day is wrong. Um, so okay. it hasn't increased that much. What we have done is increased our high intent search traffic. That's where our main focus and our overall conversion rate um, of that traffic. Awesome. So. How do you define high intent search traffic? If somebody searches for um, dashboard software, that's very high intent for us. If somebody yeah. searches for a Google Analytics reporting tool, that's very high uh, intent for us versus saying an article that we might have on our blog that, that like uh, how to reduce your bounce rate right? Like that's not very high intent. Um, there's some intent to it, but nowhere near as much as somebody specifically looking for a solution like ours. Yeah. And I imagine also that you're one, you're in a unique position as well to build out templates. Yeah. And to, and to, to use those very strategically in content marketing. And I think templates, um, both templates that you create and templates that you can source through the community are really powerful because then you find people exactly in a moment of pain that I've got to build. I don't know. I have this problem. I've got to build. I've got to build a report for Facebook for a fashion e-commerce shop or something. But can you talk about the use of templates specifically in your content marketing and where you position those? Yeah, it's actually a really key piece. At the at like, if you rewind the clock a little bit, our marketing strategy is, was very simple. It was mostly crowdsource. Artic quotes for articles and write long form articles that, you know, for search traffic and then use our templates as our conversion point. We get a lot of signups of people like looking at our product pages and our pricing pages and all that. But the 
our marketing team has a lot of control over getting signups using our templates because we use those templates as calls to action and they also rank themselves. Uh, we've had them for like four plus years. It was one of the things I think we did in my first year at Databox is launch those templates because, and it was more of a customer driven request because I was selling on onboarding customers at that time. And I literally had to log into every account and like rebuild the same darn thing. And so I said, Hey, I got to make this easier for me. And so we started building out templates and then we realized, Oh, okay, this could be a marketing tool. So we built a template library. We didn't do keyword research back then. Um, we didn't put a lot of thought into the, you know, how to, how the pages should in, interlink, uh, you know, in a pillar cluster model. We kind of just like built templates as we rolled out integrations and as we needed them. And, uh, and so about eight, nine months ago, a guy named uh, Borja Prieto uh, joined our team as our, as director or as our growth manager. Um, and he looked at it and he said, here's our opportunity. We can increase that sign of volume. And so we've done a series of projects uh, and we've actually been able to increase our sign-up volume by, I think, uh, like 600 signups a month from our templates in that time period. Wow, um, amazing. So, yeah, they're very handy for us. Obviously, it helps with product adoption, and uh, but also yeah. helps drive. Uh, Peter, you just dropped a term that uh, I believe HubSpot pioneered, which is called pillar cluster model. Yes, yeah. And I want to geek out on that for a second. Sure. Did you apply the pillar cluster model to this, what you describe as a pretty scattered and maybe just an or something that had grown organically, this template, yes. template library? Did you then organize that into a pillar cluster model? And was that one of the keys to your yeah, success? Yeah, I think like, for people who don't know the pillar cluster model, it, uh, like an easier word might just be like we built a directory of templates. Yeah. Right? And we started at the top with like, what are the main categories? And there's marketing dashboard templates and there's sales dashboard templates and there's customer support dashboard templates and there's finance dashboard templates and project, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so we started there, but then if you go into marketing and you click that, now you're going to see SEO, um, you know, dashboard templates and you're going to see marketing automation dashboard, dashboard templates and ad dashboard templates, et cetera, et cetera. And there's like literally hundreds of these terms that, that each have decent search traffic volume. Uh, and so, yes, we, we, we built that top level page that's optimized for dashboard templates. And then we built those pages for marketing dashboards, uh, sales dashboard. And then we built the next category down, which is SEO and marketing automation. Uh, until you get to the point where it's like Facebook ads, dashboard templates, right? Or Facebook ads, um, e-commerce, post analysis templates, right? There's all these different different keyword terms, long tail keyword terms that, that we mm -hmm. optimize. Yeah, I'm digging into the marketing category and it looks like well over half of these templates, um, 200, about 280 out of maybe 400 total yep. are in marketing. And that does pretty much indicate that, yeah, the agencies are your, your primary ICP and agencies are going to have these needs and they're going to, they're going to go into these templates and yeah. They're going to want to grab something off the shelf and then customize it as opposed to build from scratch. Uh, that's, right. that, it's that's also just indicative of like the complexity of marketing, right? And you introduced me as like VP of sales, the hotspot and all that. And I, I'm definitely, yeah. you know, uh, uh, in the sales and, 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 and love helping people through sales efforts, et cetera. But my heart and my, my, my mind is always in marketing. And marketing is just harder. It's more complex. There's more channels. There's more tactics, et cetera. Sales is pretty straightforward. You reach out to people, you connect with them, 
you qualify them in or out and you move them for your funnel and close them or not. So uh, it's relatively straightforward. Now it's gotten more complex with, you know, CPQ tools where, you know, sending out quotes and uh, people are buying through, you know, through Stripe, even in complex sales. Uh, and so there's more to sales these days than there was. Um, but still marketing just takes the cake in terms of complexity and, and the amount of data that's produced. Yeah, absolutely. Peter, this has been fantastic. Good luck with Databox. And I think you're well on your way to becoming famous a second time in your career. And I think that's commendable because a lot of people uh, have struggled even getting the first the first famous yeah, getting yeah, famous yeah. even once. I got a chip um, on my shoulder, so I I got I got stuff to prove, and I'm passionate okay. about helping companies grow, and I love love marketing, and so I'm not quite ready to to hang it up yet. I hear you. Same same for me. That's great, Peter. Thanks for spending the time with me. I really appreciate it. It was great uh, great talking about DataBox, exciting product, and it looks like the best uh, the best is yet to come for you all. Thank you. Thank you, Paris. Appreciate the conversation. It was fun. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.